Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture Podcast, where youth ministry and culture collide. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. And we are back from a long, long summer that somehow felt like it just breezed by out of nowhere. (laughs) It was insane, man. Did you? Look, I don't know. what. Okay, so we got a lot of catching up to do, (laughs) but... Uh, my church and ministry stuff that we were doing, like every other week, there was something going on. And so every week in between was either recovery from the previous week or preparation for the next week. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I know, man. It's been, it's been a very busy summer. Um, great summer, mm-hmm. but busy summer. And, yes. um, of course, uh, some life stuff got thrown out in me as well. I'm, I am moving into an apartment and moving into an apartment with uh, two kids is very interesting. Um, for those of bathrooms? you, uh, there's two, there's two, oh, praise the Lord. There's, there's not one. <laughs> that, for those of you who don't know that the house that we're, we moved here in uh, Western North Carolina and the house we're in, uh, we're renting and it only has one bathroom and one bathroom with two kids. It's, it's interesting. Um, of course, the the owner is selling the house. We had to find a new place to live. So that's mm-hmm. why we're moving to apartment temporary uh, while we're looking to buy a house. But the market is insane. It's getting a little better, but it's still insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been the, uh, living the moving packing life the last few weeks. And uh, this by the time this is released, I should be in my new place which would be nice. And so I can settle down while I'm looking to move again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that's supposed to be temporary until you can find like an actual house to move into. Right. Yes. Oh, gracious. Yeah. Well, our ministry year, uh, we do, uh, we partner with word of life for our church and our ministry year for, uh, like the program stuff and all that, you know, that we do is starts this coming Sunday on the 11th of September. So, um, I've, you know, I've got to, uh, Squish five days of work into four because today's Labor Day, <laughs> which is why we're recording today because we don't have time for the rest of the week. <laughs> P- pretty, pretty much. And also, you got some more than just word of life, just doing the youth pastor stuff. You got some more stuff that's in your life. Recently. I do. Um, we uh, so man, a uh, lot has changed over the summer. Um, so word of life had their setup with uh, partnering with churches is uh, there's local missionaries that live in different areas and they partner with churches and help serve them and help with their discipleship evangelism, leadership development of their churches. And our area missionary got promoted to regional coordinator of the Northeast. And so we no longer had one. And so I was talking to word of life about it and saying, Hey, you know, whenever you find your new guy, let me know. And I'll, I'll be a friend to him. I'm a local area youth pastor. So, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to help him get acclimated to the area. And uh, somewhere along the way, one of them went, well, how about you do it? <laughs> I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and they were like, no, really, you should consider it. And I was like, no. 
And then I got a call from one of the higher ups and said, no, seriously, you need to actually pray about this. And we're, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he wasn't like forceful. He just said, we would really like you to consider. So uh, Emily and I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it and had several people, including Ryan, praying about it. And um, that's probably the first time you've zoomed in on a prayer meeting, right? <laughs> Pretty much. That is the first time. Um, and uh, long story short, Emily and I went up to Missionaries in Training Week with Word of Life uh, last month. And we got approval from the board of review, and we are now officially Word of Life missionaries. And we are in the phase of raising a team of ministry partners so that we can go full time. And my church has graciously allowed me to stay on staff full time as the youth pastor. So basically, moonlighting uh, with the other stuff with Word of Life. Um, but I'm pretty excited about it because uh, this change will allow me to not just serve my local church and my community, but I'll be serving all of Eastern and Northern Virginia, which if you know anything about Eastern and Northern Virginia, uh, at least from a political standpoint, uh, people tell me Virginia is a blue state, but if you look at the electoral maps, it's a red state with some very large, densely populated blue dots, and those are all in Eastern and Northern Virginia. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, conflict in our state, and there's a lot of people who don't know the Lord, and uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to help uh, churches disciple, evangelize, train their students and their leaders. And I'm kind of excited about what effect that could have on our podcast, because that's kind of what me and Ryan are trying to do here is help youth leaders disciple and evangelize and train their students and leaders. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And, and that's, and of course, when we're, when we're uh, taking a break in the summer, it doesn't mean we don't take a break from the podcast. We still do yeah interviews we still set up things for the upcoming school year uh, and i was really really pumped up to be able to talk to sean mcdowell again uh particularly on apologetics that, that is his niche mm -hmm. um, that's what he he speaks on a lot in that realm um, i kind of wanted to hash uh talk to him and hash some things out when it comes to apologetics specifically in a youth ministry context and why that is important um so i'm very excited about our interview today um, so basically, get your ears open as we start a new year um, and start with, and we're again, I'm excited that we had an opportunity to talk to Sean, particularly on apologetics. So stay tuned as we talk with Sean McDowell. Well, guys, I am super excited about who we're going to be talking with and interviewing today. He is a uh, been on the podcast before, and I'm excited to have him again, specifically to talk about this realm of apologetics, uh, specifically in youth ministry. And so, Sean McDowell, how about you have an opportunity just to, for those of you who have maybe those of maybe have not heard the podcast episode. Uh, that we released a while back about your uh, previous book on Chase and Love. Um, how about you kind of introduce yourself a little bit, um, what you're doing uh, and what you're doing today? Yeah, Ryan, thanks so much for having me back. This is great. I am a professor full-time at Biola University, Taub School of Theology. I teach a high school class part-time, a Bible class, because really my heartbeat is 
the next generation. I'm a husband. I'm a dad of three kids. And I just get to write and speak and communicate. And really, my lane, you might say, is the next generation, which primarily right now is Gen Z and uh, apologetics and worldview and cultural engagement. So from Instagram to Twitter, yes, I'm on TikTok to my YouTube channel, my books, my speaking. It's all about equipping leaders or reaching and engaging the next generation. Uh, and of course, you have a new book that just recently released, and we'll talk about that probably throughout this, uh, this interview, but you had a new book called A Rebel's Manifesto. I want to give you a, uh, let, uh, just talk briefly about that new book. And I, look, I just saw it. I purchased it. I'm excited about reading it. Uh, but how about you give us a, like a short clip of what that book is all about? Sure. So it's an update of the first book I wrote in 2005 called Ethics, E-T-H-I-X. And that book did pretty well. There was not a lot of student apologetic resources when you go back to the early 2000s. And when I went to update it, it hit me how much the issues have changed. So issues like immigration are much more pressing, gun control, climate change, transgender. The book was to help Christians think Christianly and biblically about some of the most thorny issues of the day. So number one, so many of the issues changed. We could get into that if you wanted to. But second, when I wrote it was before social media. I mean, I went back and looked in that book and was like, the entire landscape of communication and identity has been transformed with social media. So of course, I have a chapter in that and incorporate how to work through those issues. So bottom line, uh, you know me, Ryan, My uh, when you see the title, you're probably like, Rebels Manifesto, Sean doesn't strike me as the rebellious <laughs> kind. And that's intentional because I was looking at the history of rock and roll recently, and rock and roll has kind of represented rebellion in some fashion. So in the 50s, there was some rebellion against certain uh, racial discrimination and injustice. In the 60s, rebelling against kind of, you know, the 50s, you have the counterculture. In the 70s, you have some rock music rebelling against war. 80s punk rock. That's what it represents. But it hit me that number one, rock and roll has lost its kind of cultural uh, impact that it used to. And we're talking the, the dress and the lyrics and the sound was kind of rebellion. Well, now that everybody has a microphone through social media, we can all be rock stars and all cancel others and just kind of shout, fight the system. And it hit me that the rebel today is someone who's like wants to build bridges instead of walls rather than shouting wants to listen, wants to find common ground and actually just really ask, how do I love my neighbor in this divided cancel culture, which really is the way of Jesus. So that's what I'm calling students to, in a sense, by the title that we need a generation of rebels, but a very different kind of rebel than we've had in the past. Absolutely. Not. And. and I, the Again, I'm looking forward to diving to this book because uh, I did read uh, Ethics, uh, your first book that you mentioned way back when, um, mm. a long time ago. Uh, I think it was back. It was you said the early 2000s, correct? If I remember correctly, that's what you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, I think it came out 06, if I remember correctly. And so that's right at the beginning of my college career. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's a long time ago now. I think about it. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's right before like right before man. Social media didn't really kick in. Good night. I would say two two thousand. We had social media. We had Facebook, but it wasn't what it was today. It was mostly for college right. students. 
totally different. Um, yeah, so apologetics as a whole, as we talk about the subject with, with specifically youth ministry, um, and we're going to dive in this a little bit, and I'm going to ask you some questions about this, but I feel like um, as us as youth ministers or youth leaders, we kind of stray away uh, from teaching apologetics, unfortunately. Um, and some of you that some of those listeners that are listening may be thinking, uh, well, I do, but, the, but a lot of, I would say a lot of the leaders I speak with are afraid to dive into this topic in detail. Um, so what, why do you think, why is teaching apologetics, of course, is important for the entire church, but why is it important, especially in youth ministry? If I might answer a, a question that you suggested there, if that's okay, because I think you're right, we are reluctant to teach apologetics, and I think there can be a few reasons for this. One is there's a lot of people who've had a bad experience with apologetics, and that frames the way they think about apologetics. And there's an awful lot of apologists who, if that was my view of what apologetics meant, I would want nothing to do with it. So I understand why some people are like, hey, I don't want to teach apologetics. I want to teach my kids to argue, to be arrogant. If that's what you think apologetics is, uh, I wouldn't want to teach that either. But that's not what scripture teaches or the way apologetics should be done. I think the other reason we might hesitate to is there's a lot of questions that can come up. In apologetics, you're going to be asked questions about the age of the earth and evolution. You might be asked questions about artificial intelligence the resurrection, fulfilled prophecy, theology, philosophy, near-death experiences. I mean, you start to open up a can of worms for this, and a lot of people can feel inadequate about it, understandably, so it's easier not to teach it. If that's how some people listening to feel, I just want to tell them you don't have to be the expert. Don't pretend to be the expert. Just say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but there's some really smart Christians who've been thinking about this for thousands of years. Let's go see how they make sense of it together and find an answer. So if you've had a bad experience or you feel like you're afraid someone's asked you a tough question, don't let that uh, keep you from teaching apologetics. Why is it so important? Number one, the Bible teaches it, right? First Peter 3.15, you know, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always be ready with an answer for the hope within. Give it with gentleness and respect. Well, that's one obvious reason the Bible teaches it. Jude early on talks about, you know, being ready to defend the faith uh, that was once for all passed down to the saints. Be ready with an answer. Another reason is obviously our culture has become more and more influenced by secular ideas. The culture is discipling our students. TikTok disciples our students. Instagram disciples our students. The educational system disciples our students. Notice I'm not framing this as a culture war approach. That's not the way we should do it. But the reality is the music and movies and social media and education and friends are discipling young people to see the world a certain way, to believe certain things, and live in light of how they see the world to be. And that doesn't include, largely speaking, a Christian ethic. So because our kids are being discipled, we've got to give them, you know, apologetics. And the last reason is kids have questions. Kids have questions. Ryan, you know how many times I'll do Q&A with students and I'll just say, write down your questions. 
Like, how can God send a loving person to hell? Why is there evil in the world? How can Jesus be the only way? Does God hate gay people? Like, these are real questions that this generation has. And if we don't teach and engage them, we're functionally saying that the Christian faith has nothing to say to the biggest questions in your heart and in your mind, which is doing a profound disservice to young people. No, I, I, I totally agree. And, um, and Sean, I don't know if you remember last time we, we spoke, um, of course, this wasn't, we didn't air this live. This was before our, uh, before we started recording, uh, but I shared a story of, uh, of, actually going through apologetics, actually your apologetics material for, um, Awana. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I absolutely enjoyed. It was great material. Um, and I actually had parents during that period of time out of our previous ministry, uh, taking their kids out of youth mm. ministry during that time, specifically because they did not like what they were hearing. Uh, didn't like that the fact that their kids were being taught this stuff rather than uh, having fun and entertainment. Um, and I just, rem- I just remember that. And I, I see that, that I think that even at a, at a parent level, there is some misunderstanding. And I guess part of it may have been, I'm, I'll take the blame there, may have been my fault of not communicating well mm. of the importance uh, with parents of why this, uh, this is important. Important. But what are some practical ways that you think that youth leaders can not only equip students in apologetics, but also parents? So I, I do remember you sharing that, and I rarely hear that kind of feedback with apologetics. The vast narrative that I hear is, thank you for engaging in our kids and helping them answer these questions. I wish I could take your class. (laughs) That's what I hear more from parents, but for different reasons. And maybe like you said, our, our, we don't communicate as well as we could. Um, kids are pulling them out. One of the things I I would do, I'm, I'm not telling you how to respond, but if I was in a situation, I would want to go to those parents and say, what are you hearing from these kids? What are you expecting? I want to hear where they're coming from. That'd be really interesting to me. Uh, but also we can't please Everybody, if they're looking for a youth group to entertain their kids, that's not going to be my youth group when it's all said and done. And frankly, Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away. He wasn't just about numbers. There comes a point where we have to choose to disciple our kids in not just apologetics, but in deeper theology and in service and prayer, etc. And if parents give that same response, and I feel bad, I'll do what I can to get the kid back, but I'm because of what these kids are facing, I've got to teach some depth and show the significance of it. So that's broadly how I, I approach it. I think communicating with parents is huge. One of the things that I found, especially when I do stuff on sexuality or controversial apologetics, I get my head of schools because I'm at a private Christian school, get the pastor, get your the person above you behind what you're doing and just say, hey, how can I best communicate this to parents? So they understand. That's one thing to do, to minimize some of that fallout. The other thing is if you want to teach parents in your area, all the research shows, and you know this, Ryan, that parents are the primary influence on the spiritual state of their kids. Christian Smith shows this in his recent book, Hand Me Down the Faith. He says the data goes back to, I think he says 1972, that parents more than teachers, youth pastors, professors, 
uh, the media, it's parents. So one thing I did early when I was teaching is I found about three or four influential parents who I knew were vested in the church, who carried some relational clout in the community. I said, would you be willing to meet with me a few times to help me best teach your students and understand your kids, but also talk about ways in our community we can equip and we can train parents. And before I was a parent, I viewed things so differently than I do now. So for example, in the book Rebels Manifesto, when I first wrote it, I had 10 chapters. Why? Because books have 10 chapters. I had no more depth in my thinking than that. When I went to write this book, I was like, oh, I'm a parent of two teenagers now. What resource would I use? So I was like 30 chapters much shorter would be helpful to me. So I saw things very differently. So if you want to equip parents, go to some key parents. And it might be a weekly email with questions from the lesson. It might be a quarterly series. There's a million things. But in your specific setting, those parents might understand and gauge how busy people are, what questions they're asking, and what interest there really is in equipping parents, and then do it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, um, Mike, when we share, share that story, that was a very rare instance that I've never mm. experienced before and never mm. heard of another okay. uh, <laughs> pastor experiencing. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of it has to do with, with the, the context uh, where I was at, the church culture, uh, culture, the community, a lot of things like that, different factors, factors into that. Uh, but yes, uh, one thing I'm learning more and more is, is that, and of course, you know, the Sean too, is that our parents are ill equipped, uh, at large for the most part. Your research is showing this is to be the primary disciple in the home. Uh, that's the reason why I, I personally believe that student ministry, uh, there's a shift that's going on, uh, to where we need to focus as much time with parents. Um, as we were our students, or even more so, uh, focusing on discipling and equipping parents um, and that realm too, because it's exactly what you said, they are the primary disciple in the home. Biblically, that is our role as parents. And not only that, we have a so much limited amount of time that they are here in the church, uh, that there is no way that the church can be the primary disciple. So I absolutely 100% um, agree with that. Um, there is one thing I, I do want to ask too, because of course, uh, you kind of hit in, hit into this a little bit on your book, um, a, a new kind of apologist. Uh, but uh, the apologetics as a whole, there, I'm in my opinion, and what you're seeing too, there there is a shift in how we should approach apologetics. So, how how do you think we should approach apologetics today compared to like 20 years ago? So my father's kind of a trailblazer and a trendsetter in apologetics. And this isn't 20 years ago. <clears throat> We're talking 50, 60 years ago, middle of the 20th century, where there was pretty much Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis. And then my dad started doing apologetics. And one of the ways he would communicate is this is during the free speech platform going back to the 60s and 70s. There was a radical energy on campus. And you go to free speech platform, people would leave class and come out and engage these ideas. And you would stand up behind a microphone, throw ideas out there. People would debate you. 
The only way to describe it from videos I've seen and talk to my dad is there was electricity on campus, ideas matter, people were passionate, would come out and engage. So you had to communicate in a way. You had to say things boldly and clearly and loud. If you showed a sign of weakness, you're kind of kicked off the stage. That's the way apologetics was often done even into the 80s and into the 90s. Say things strong, black and white, make your case. And this is not a criticism. It's just a reality of where culture was and how we had to communicate. But now with smartphones, if we overstate things, if we make things black and white, we lose an audience because students are sitting there going, I can smart, you know, I can check on my smartphone, somebody who holds a different view. If you overstate it in many cases, you're going to lose credibility. So it's much more rather than being strong, bold, outspoken, let's be kind, let's be civil, let's have confidence in the truth, let's show the other side fairly, and then just express a confidence that Christianity is true. So that narrative has shifted radically. I think the other thing that shifted is the kinds of questions are very important. So I would say there's what are called timeless questions, and then what I call timely questions. So timeless questions would be things like the problem of evil. (laughs) That always has been an issue, always will be an issue. Now, timeless issues are who is Jesus? Is the Bible true? Timely questions might be issues like race and racism, transgender, immigration, we need to be willing to, what, what mistakes some people make is they just do timely issues, but don't give kids the depth behind it of the timeless questions. God exists. Here's who Jesus is. Plan of salvation. How we answer evil. So the way it's shifted today is we got to continue to do the timeless questions that have always been done, going back to the New Testament, obviously earlier. But some of the more timely issues we need to be willing to speak in and help kids wade as well. And I would, you know, the last thing I would say is we also have to spend, so number one, the way we say things is really important. Number two, the nature of the issues uh, is, is really important, but truth itself is being undermined and questioned in a way it was in the past. So when my dad first wrote evidence that demands a verdict in 1972, there were no chapters on truth in it. You didn't have to defend the idea that there's such a thing as truth, that truth is important, and that truth is knowable. Everybody took that for granted. But now when we updated that recently, we had to have, if I'm not mistaken, three chapters on this because we hear people say things like, live your truth. That may be true for you, but not true for me. Or truth is oppressive. These kinds of claims are, I guess you could say, more timely issues. But if you don't believe there's such thing as truth and we can know it, then the claim that Jesus is the truth is not going to make any sense. So that's at least three ways I think culture and the way we teach apologetics has shifted. Yeah, so um, yeah, I, one thing I've noticed, and again, this is just, I don't know if it's a, uh, I guess it may be a millennial thing, and I'm picking on my, myself, <laughs> my own generation a little bit. Um, but it just be have lost the concept of logic. 
uh, yeah. of thinking things out, thinking things logically. Everything's based off of how we feel, how we feel in the moment. Um, and Gen Z, you're seeing this a lot, a lot in Gen Z too, but the, the beauty of Gen Z is that they're so much more open to spiritual things than any other generation before. And we're seeing that uh, across the board uh, on different research platforms. Uh, we're seeing that uh, for the, also the most unreached age group and generation uh, that there ha ever has been. Um, yeah, so I, I would use myself as an example. I'm the total opposite. I guess in some ways I don't think like a millennial, even though I am a millennial. Um, I, <laughs> I, uh, when I debate and I've debate uh, and, and friendly debating friends and, and people I know uh, doing apologetics type things, a problem, evil, everything that, we, that you just mentioned, um, it's always done a logical way, and the more I more I'm realizing it, that doesn't just doesn't work anymore. Um, it's more things when it comes to apologetics. It is uh, for the average person that is listening, the average person in ministry, uh, the average believer. It's not as much of uh, getting on a stage debating or debating people around you. It's more. It's what works to me, and what's more effective is actually building relationship. And through a relationship, having deeper conversations. So I, I, I appreciate the way you frame this. I think the way we should do apologetics always has been and always should be truth and relationships. That's the medium. Even my father going back 50 years, he'd make a case and then he'd share his testimony about how Jesus changed him and changed his relationships. That Jesus came in grace and truth. In Thessalonians, Paul says, we not only gave you the gospel, truth, but our very own lives. It's always has been and always should be both. I think we make a mistake when we say, just give them reason and evidence and proof. Well, that's a mistake. It's also a mistake when we say, we just got to love this generation. Well, Mormons can just love people as well, but Mormonism is false. <laughs> so it, it's both. It's truth in the context of relationships. Now, what I think is unique about this generation is there's a lot more two things number one there's so much focus on how they feel so my dad did say to Reese when we we're having a conversation because i think we've hit the point where feelings now trump science and he's right about that that they're emphasized feel this feel that which is why in conversation with students if we're talking about theology they'll say you know this is what i feel and i'll say things like i really care about how you feel but I want to know what you think. And I'll push back with my students because I want them to start to realize, oh, I'm feeling about this, not thinking about this. And I'm not saying feelings are unimportant. If anybody hears me, they're missing the point. Feelings are important. But if you live your life based on your feelings, you're going to wreck and destroy your health, your relationships, your life, your bank account, everything. So that's one way I push back with my students to say, well, I feel this. I'll say, great, feelings are important. Tell me what you think. So this generation has been so pushed to see the world through their feelings. We've got to spend more time rewiring them. But there's also just a lot more hurt with this generation. We've seen loneliness and anxiety and suicide go just exponentially grow over the past decade. And the pandemic certainly hasn't helped. And you can couple this with a generation that is kind of taught. I know you mentioned jokingly, you're a millennial. Well, the stereotype for what it's worth is snowflake, 
and soft, right? That's just the stereotype. I'm not saying you're, you're that way. Please don't get offended. Don't fulfill the stereotype. I'm kidding. Um, it, they're also told that they're so fragile. <laughs> this is the narrative that they're told. And there's this emotional hurt. So as we teach apologetics, we just have to realize this generation has been shoved. Feel your way to reality. Look within to your own feelings rather than look without to truth. And there's emotional hurt that is there. So I don't stop making a case. I don't stop using logic. I think we should use it as much as ever, but connect it to their lives. Do it sensitively do it graciously and just spend more time unpacking some of the stuff that has affected the way they see the world than maybe we had to in the past. Absolutely. So when I'm thinking about the youth leader out there, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier at the beginning of our, uh, of our conversation, but um, what would you say to a youth leader who feels maybe intimidated uh, or ill-equipped uh, to teach apologetics? I would say you're not alone. I totally get it. I have a PhD in apologetics, and sometimes I get intimidated teaching on certain subjects. I'm like, what if they ask me this? Am I really an expert? Like, I get it. Second, I would say you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to know everything. Third, you don't have to stop everything you're doing and just do apologetics. I probably, because I love apologetics, probably get a little too excited and animated about it and think, everybody, it's the greatest thing. Do apologetics. All I'm really asking youth leaders to do is make it one staple of what they do. Minimally, whether it's a six-part series, minimally, whether it's a weekend retreat focused on apologetics, whether it's a summer series focused on apologetics. Whether in your messages you start weaving in certain apologetic ideas, just make it one staple of what you do. Kids have questions, and they need to know we're not afraid of the questions, and they need to know that Christianity is actually true. So I think, I'll be really frank here, I think any youth pastor who doesn't at least make apologetics one staple of what he or she is doing is doing a disservice to this generation. Now, if you don't talk about prayer to this generation, if you don't talk about how to understand the Bible, you're also doing a disservice to this generation. There's certain essentials we have to do. And apologetics is just one of them. We could talk about some good resources that are out there. Some I've done, some other people have done, but just make it one staple. You don't have to be expert. Introduce your kids to this. And I think you'll find maybe 8, 10, 15% of your students, maybe more, will really resonate with this. And these tend to be your future doctors, lawyers, teachers, business people who are just thinkers. A lot of them leave the church because they've never felt like it's for them. And so there's a lot of kids when they discover this are like, wow, and just think it's the greatest thing ever. And if they're not getting that in church and at least being a resource for them, I think we're doing a disservice to our future leaders and influencers. Yeah, I think on the flip side of that too is I think um, again, I, this is not every every church, every uh, youth group, every situation. But I think, and this is also a general generalization when I say this. Um, but I I do think at large, uh, youth ministries uh, 
have not done a good job of being in a place where a safe place for kids to completely bring their doubts to the table. Agreed. Um, and so, and, and that's part of, and that, I think that's part of the reason why, at least in my opinion, again, I don't necessarily have research to prove this or back this up. This is based on my own perception and experiences. Um, I see this a lot in my generation. Uh, by the time got, when we're in youth group, uh, feeling like you can't, uh, if you bring up certain questions, you're going to be ostracized or seen as bad or are viewed as a, as not a believer because you're questioning certain things. Uh, and it wasn't a safe place. And by the time we got into college and we started asking these questions and being influenced in certain aspects uh, and our college professors who are, uh, who are throwing things at us in philosophy classes, uh, uh, that we don't have an answer for, and it, it actually caused more people to leave the faith altogether, uh, in my opinion, because we didn't have a safe place to ask questions and doubts and bring it to the table. And uh, I think that's a, a, it's not the only reason, but I think it's part of a many-faceted, many-layer of reasons why, at least my generation, slowly but surely, is walking away from the faith. I could not agree more, just for the record, Ryan. Here's what I think the data shows. It's not doubts and questions that causes a kid to leave the faith. It's unexpressed doubts that messes with a kid's faith. This goes back to research on uh, younger millennials, Sticky Faith, Kara Powell, mm -hmm. going back a decade, and everything I've seen, this remains, that it's when kids have questions and they don't feel safe to simply express them that that doubt festers and grows and amongst other things contributes to them abandoning the faith. That's one key piece. So it's actually less important that we're able to answer all the questions as we are simply to say, wow, that's a great question. I love that you're thinking God is big enough for your questions. Christians have been thinking about this for a long, long time. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm confident we can find an answer if we're willing to look for it. One of my whole goals in teaching apologetics is I just want kids to realize, I wanted to have the thought, wow, there's really smart Christians who've been providing answers for a long time, number one. And number two, not only are my questions safe, but my questions are invited. So when kids come to me with doubt, and sometimes I get, I get much more social media questions, almost like daily from people, just expressing this angst over having questions and doubts. I try to respond and say, good for you for having these questions. Oh man, I love that you're using your mind. Doubt is okay. And by the way, doubt's not the opposite of faith. That's why Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. That's why in the Great Commission, you know, it says, and some of them doubted in Matthew 28. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. Faith is not certainty. And so I think we need to just create a safe space, a safe space. We need to invite questions and then dig in and help kids see that there's good Christian answers for the Christian faith. And by the way, I can't I was trying to think of what it was a minute ago. Somebody asked me a question last week. And, you know, I've got I only mention this to give some context. I have two masters and a PhD, and my answer was, I don't know the answer to that. What a good question. I'm going to think about this. 
because I want them to know that Christians can have faith, but also live in the tension or, you know, not the pretension of knowing everything. That's a part of life. I think that's life-giving to many students when they begin to realize that. Yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that because I feel like that's something that um, a lot of people don't grasp is you don't have to have the answer, uh, but you have to be willing to try and dig and find an answer. Because um, the fact is, I'm glad you mentioned it. You mentioned it several times that you, even though you may have a lot of education or a lot of experience, you're never going to know everything. No um, chance. So being being willing to admit that actually goes a lot further with a student uh, than it does to act like you know something in rea- that in reality you do not. Um, so I totally, I totally agree with that. Uh, and even in my own experiences in ministry and, um, it has meant, a, and also even when I was a teenager, it meant a lot more for my youth, youth pastor or youth worker or uh, pastor to admit that he doesn't have an answer rather than beating around the bush, acting like he does. Amen to that. And by the way, if you give a wrong answer and kids Google it, you're going to lose a lot of credibility anyways. Correct. We're, we're, it's not like it was 20 or 30 years ago. When we didn't have, uh, when, when we had dial up internet. And so using the internet was a pain in the butt and uh, we didn't have Google. So a lot of the information we got was in media and just uh, TV or whatever it was. Uh, those days are gone. Uh, kids will Google your Google stuff while you're teaching. sometimes to make sure what you're teaching is correct um but absolutely well sean it's been awesome to have you on um i love i could talk about apologetics all day It's a passion of mine i love it but how can people get connected with you personally uh and also get connected with your new book so i'm kind of everywhere on social media except snapchat that's one thing i i draw the line there i'm not on snapchat my website, just seanmcdowell.org, is kind of the hub for link to my YouTube channel, link to Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. I have a blog that's there, my speaking calendar, um, gosh, resources, all the books are listed there. So that'd be a simple hub to go to. But I have a YouTube channel, and a lot of what I do is I talk about these issues. I just interviewed somebody on the evidence for the Exodus this past week. So interesting. Just interviewed an expert who's doing a, who's done apologetics 40 years, how the arguments themselves have changed. Super interesting perspective. Uh, whenever there's new research on Gen Z, I jump out and interview an expert. Uh, I do use Twitter. I use Instagram, but I don't do a lot of cat videos. I'm not trying to entertain, although I do funny stuff now and then. I really look at social media as a ministry of just equipping people. So... I try to put stuff up there that anytime somebody comes across it, they'll say, oh, that has value, whether it's a conference I might go to, a book I might want to get, an article to read, a video to watch. I spend a good amount of time putting content out there, just simply trying to equip both young people and uh, those who care about young people, Christian school teachers, youth ministers, uh, parents, grandparents, etc. Well, Sean, I want to thank you for taking time to come out on the podcast today. Great questions, Ryan. Happy to do it. Man, I I am very, very thankful for Sean. Man, he's got so many good insights when it mm-hmm. comes to apologetics, uh, particularly uh, the connection with youth ministry. 
And sometimes we, when we talk about apologetics, we kind of think of, oh, this is an adult topic or adult mm-hmm. or college or adult topic of learning. Yeah. And we, we sometimes we can neglect and understanding that students, how important it is for them to understand some of these things because their worldview is being developed uh, really in middle school. Uh, but by the time they get in, uh, by the time of death and by the time they end uh, high school, their worldview is, is set in stone in a lot of ways. So it's very important to go over these apologetic topics um, during that time period so they understand what they believe, why they believe it. Mm-hmm. And the other end of it, which is the apologetics part of it, is knowing how to get a defense of what you believe. And, and yeah. uh, I'm so. The thing with Sean that I'm kind of uh, excited about, but also thankful for, I guess, is that you and I growing up got his dad when we were teenagers as like the apologetics guy. And we watched this guy basically disciple his son. And then his son grew up and now he's doing the same thing for this current generation and pointing them to Jesus, teaching them how to defend their faith. Uh, And I think that's a fantastic thing because uh, you you just mentioned how we like a lot of people tend to think this is kind of like an adult conversation, um, but we fail to realize that students can understand way more than we think. I mean, we're both dads of small children; they catch on way more than we think they do. <laughs> we think they're not paying attention, and then three days later they say something, and you're like, "Oh, you were actually listening to that," <laughs> you know? And they'll retain it, and and then the depth of understanding and something in some issues is just it boggles my mind kind of makes me feel like was i an idiot when i was a teenager because <laughs> i don't remember being this astute <laughs> yeah it's like uh I, I, even my oldest uh landed um he's 10 turns 11 um next may but uh we've even had we've had a conversations the problem evil because uh, he says wow why why is this if, if he's at his age he's asked questions uh God, if God is so good, so big. Why is there why is there bad stuff in the world? Mm. We've already had at his age. We've already had these discussions uh, early on. So, so, and again, I think a lot of reasons why. Uh, again, there's mul- this this answer was just, these questions is multifaceted. Yeah, but uh, I think part of it is we 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 get in this rut of concluding that teens uh, don't have the mental capacity to think through these stuff when a reality that's so <laughs> far from the truth um, it's just that you gotta it's about challenging your kids mm-hmm. if you don't challenge your kids of course they're not gonna uh, mature in their faith they're not going to understand theology and uh, they're gonna be biblically illiterate uh, but if you challenge your kids they will rise to the occasion um, yep to make the assumption that teenagers don't have the mental capacity to think through these things is is gives gives them a disservice. It gives their parents a disservice too. It's a little insulting too. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I'm not sure how to put this, but um, well, I, I guess I'll pull from a parenting thing I learned. Your kids will rise to whatever bar you raise. So raise the bar high. Um, yeah, they might miss it sometimes, but raise the bar high. Don't raise it like so freaking high that it's not even attainable for you. 
<laughs> okay, but raise the bar high um, because uh, they they have and then encourage them along the way because they have the ability, I think, to reach it for the most part um, as a general rule. But hopefully the conversation that Ryan had uh, today with Sean was um, was helpful, was encouraging. Uh, hopefully get your ministry year off to a good start if you're starting around the same time as, as we are. Uh, and we appreciate you guys hanging on to us throughout the summer. Uh, I, I just went and looked at our um, our back office thing, and you guys were just kept listening. <laughs> I guess you guys are just going through our back catalog or something, but people just kept listening over the summer, so we really appreciate that. Um, and if you haven't yet, uh, please take a minute to just leave a comment or star review on whatever platform you listen to that allows that. Uh, and that, again, that'll allow us to stay near the top of the search results because we do want to continue being up there so that it's easy for people to find solid youth ministry content that they're looking for that can be helpful. And apologetics is a huge thing that can help. Uh, and if there is a topic that you'd like to hear us cover, or maybe you listen to something this summer and you're like, man, I really wish they would cover that again because a lot has changed. Well, let us know. Uh, we're on Facebook at Youth and Culture Facebook group. You can join that group if you're a a youth leader or youth pastor or uh, a parent that's trying to figure out what the heck's going on with teenagers. <laughs> and um, we can uh, ch- hang out with you there. We also have our Facebook page. Um, so like and share that with other youth ministers um, that you're friends with or you're trying to do ministry with. And uh, we would love to connect with you there. Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.